You're listening to Kapow, the pop culture podcast. Comics, television, movies, and more. If it impacts fan culture, we have something to say about it. And now, your hosts, Michael, Jordan, Cliff, and Seth. Hello once again, and welcome back to another episode of Cuphow, the pop culture podcast. My name is Jordan Lowe. I'm Cliff Barnes. I'm Seth. We're back. We're winging We're back. it. Back. We're winging it. Cliff said to wing it, so <coughs> there we go. go. We're I, got, I, got, it. I got this. Okay. So, <laughs> so, guys, I watched a new season of a show based on a nostalgic intellectual property set in California where the blonde male is now the lead and looked at it in a new light where there's still acquainted schoolmates are forced to deal with some old issues. Past characters show up as the series progresses. Mm. They go back to their high school hangout. The children are dealing with the parents' old issues. Mm -hmm. Does it have a kick-ass soundtrack too? It does, but enough about Saved by the Bell. We're going to talk about Cobra were, Kai. That's what I assumed you were talking about. Then you need to get your ass over to Cobra Kai. Tweet the leg. You're lucky I'm showing mercy. Tweet the leg. Just like a cobra, I had to shed my loser skin to find my true power. Tweet the leg. Hot summer streets and the pavements are burning us in. Cobra Kai is about strength. If you're not strong on the inside, you can't be strong on the outside. Trying to smile, but the air is so heavy and Just make sure the Cobra Kai snake comes in at the end, all right? I want it to really pop. Make a chrome. It's a cruel... Get a body bag! Yeah! Quick the leg. Quick the leg. Welcome to Cobra Kai. All that matters is that you become badass. Tweet the leg. Oh, put one of those hash browns at the end, you know, like hash brown team Cobra Kai or something. And then send it to the internet. <clears throat> yeah. Season three is out. I'll say it again. Cobra Kai the series is better than any of the Karate Kid movies. Don't start on that. That's not the way to start a positive episode. It's like the way it. we start it. It's the way we end it. You're still mad about our review of Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, he's trying to uh, anger me. You're not, you're not, your opinion will not sway me. <laughs> Alright, so leaving YouTube red and the sinking ship that was YouTube uh, jumping back on the Netflix for this third season, I feel like way more people are talking about it now. That's the power of Netflix. It's it's way it's way more in the pop culture zeitgeist at the moment. Everybody seems to have caught up on the first two seasons and liked them a lot. So season three's got a lot more buzz behind it. Hmm. I I have seen two episodes so far out of ten. I watched it all. Binged it. Okay, so you guys are both finished, and I have just begun. Right. We pick up right where we left off. I mean, minus a character, but uh, that one girl got rode off the show pretty quickly. Is she going to become the like the where's Barb of this show? <laughs> People starting hashtags and petitions. She, and yeah, stuff. she might. Huh? I don't even know who you're talking about. Who got Aisha. She was the, uh, she was, um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Anyway, it was good. I just have another similarity, if I didn't say it, uh, to the new Saved by the Bell show. The best parts are the flashbacks. Like, those flashbacks in this, going back to, like, Karate Kid 2 and stuff. That was your favorite part? 
the flashbacks are those that i mean i listen i know you're you're good you're tender <laughs> your feelings are hurt but i have been I've, watching have that po- stuff for 30 years i have positive feelings about cobra kai i'm just saying those moments where they go back and you you are seeing you're no longer seeing that digital look you've got film on your screen and it is karate kid 2 and it, and they're those scenes are so nostalgic to me. Yes, when I see those, it is great. I'm just like, and they're tying it into what's going on now. That's fantastic stuff. So, do you feel do you feel better about the um, the storyline on season three with the you know being kid focused fifty um, fifty than than you did with the first two seasons? Because you guys kind of, when we talked about the first two seasons, you guys liked the Daniel and Johnny stuff, but the kid stuff you weren't really into. I don't know that I feel much different, but I like it fine. They're, mm-hmm. The kids are fine. I guess they're growing on me a little bit. Overall, I thought this season was, again, they always, we have to have this many episodes, so there's going to be some some downtime it's gonna drag here and there and i felt like that's how the season was it's totally fine throughout and it ended strong which was good Mm -hmm. but it was it was just like you know we have to have this many episodes so we're gonna put some filler in here and there but all in all definitely i enjoyed the season yeah i i I dislike the kid stuff because it seemed to sideline johnny like it seems to take mm-hmm. precedence over what Johnny was doing, and that's literally all I care about on the show. I want to know <laughs> I, where, where, when Johnny's not on screen. I, I'm asking, where's Johnny? What's he doing? There's plenty of Johnny in this season. Yeah, there, there, there's some. He's good, still the lead. Yeah, there's some good Johnny stuff in here. That's so for sure. many, so that's many cameos. Yeah, that like, that last episode. Was great. Funny, <laughs> funny ones. Like there, there's some good stuff in there. You know, that you're just like, I, I'm so glad they went and got these people mm-hmm. and set these things up to play out. And and honestly, you know, Ralph Macchio and, you know, Zapka, they, they do a good job. They're good actors. Like, it's so much... I don't, I don't know. I'm just impressed that they still can pull it off. It doesn't feel like that uh, so many times you see just crappy line readings and something like this, but they, they pull it off. They, I, they play I agree. it seriously. Yeah. And, and I thought, I thought Machio was actually better this season. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I, I think so. I, like, maybe hey, he needed some time to, to get some of the rust off that first, uh, that first season or two. Um, but, I, but I, I found him more likable this, this year, this go round because that was always my gripe with Karate Kid was I I just didn't care for him and it was hard to like the movie. I love all the eighties cheese ball stuff and that's and that's the biggest reason why I like this show. It's just cheese ball eighties stuff. They know it and they're okay with it and they know that we like that stuff and and we're gonna put it out there and not be ashamed about it. Yeah, I, I love how it started with the you know the aftermath of this all school karate brawl and it's just this oh dear the kids and their karate it's yeah like, it's like that's so silly but they play it so straight that makes it even yeah. sillier and I, I i love it yeah at one point somebody even says the line or thereabouts about i don't understand why this valley is so obsessed with karate <laughs> <laughs> yeah that idea that they'll still recognize them 30 years later a high school kid who won a karate tournament like you're that guy from 1984 right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I do love all that stuff. And and I thought, um, I really like season three. Um, and I know I said that about season two, but I, 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 I agree with some of that flashback stuff, incorporating, um, some of that stuff into, into this season. And I mean, there is a it, couple things, a couple things they flash back to Karate Kid too, that it's just like, so, I love that movie, you know. I, I mean, it's it's so good. It's so close to being as good as the first one, but it's you know, it just shows you. I would assume that there's people watching this show that 
are going to see that. And if they have not watched Karate Kid 2, they are definitely going back mm-hmm. because some of the stuff is so strong that they're showing. I mean, it's really great. Yeah, really it, great. it is really great. And and those moments make, you know, they give they give the show heart. Um, they really do. Even though, you know, Pat Morita is long gone, um, the way they still make his presence felt, that character felt in the series, you know, just here and there, it, or, there's some nice little touches in there. Um, but yeah, the cameos were <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Uh, that, that last episode this year, I, I thought it was the best episode and they did, they did an excellent job in filling in some gaps um, from, you know, the first two movies to present day. And uh, I I really, I I noticed the acting was still really good. It felt like the authentic characters from those movies. Like they weren't just, hey, I'm making an appearance because I was in this movie 30 years ago. Like you said. Well, they they give context just Mm. like they did with, Johnny, the first couple seasons, it's like they've now taken Crease mm-hmm. and said, "Yeah, Crease is not just this villain. He, ha- we're going to give you some context to why he is the way he is." Right, and that <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I thought that was good. And, and man, the way they they set up the villain for next season, I I like admittedly I didn't put it together as soon as I should have because I had kind of forgotten about that character. Um, but man, I thought they oh, did. You guys are getting me so excited to finish. This <laughs> they, I thought they really, really set up next year, uh, perfectly. So, because I was ready for more once, uh, once, once I was through it, I was like, man, I'm at it. I'm probably going to go back halfway back. Cause Alicia and I watched half the, episodes last night probably going to go back and finish it with her so because she was getting into it and you know she hadn't seen the first two seasons so that told me uh that it's pretty good right there all in all good they didn't blow it didn't blow it great soundtrack um i was playing some mu- some music from the soundtrack uh uh at work and after i got off work and and tonight getting ready to to start this and man it's just Good stuff, Netflix. Good decision picking that show up. Okay, now I want to talk about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I've, uh, have you watched some Saved by I watched, the Bell? I watched the whole season. Did you really? I only watched. When I you when you made your comment when you made your comment a few weeks ago about having seen the first episode, yeah. I had I had already watched it. I I watched the free episode or whatever they had yeah. put on a Peacock. And are you the one person paying for Peacock? No, no, I'm not paying for people. Okay. How'd you watch the whole thing then? It's only because you can get it free for a few days or a week. Oh, uh, week trial. Okay. So I watched. The reason I got it was to watch. I had read. Um. I I'd read all three of those. That trilogy, Stephen King trilogy of Mister Mercedes, and they kind of flopped the second and third book in the seasons or whatever. So I had to read the third book to be able to watch the second season and it's on Peacock. So I got a free week of Peacock and watched the second season of Mr. Mercedes, which the third book is not good. And this season, you know, suffers from, from that. Cause I don't like that, but I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to watching the third season. But anyway, while I still had, some free peacock for a few days and I was on vacation this past week. I was like, and I had saw some hope in that first episode of Saved by the bell. I, and I think you bailed too early on it. Chloe. Yeah. I, I, it was rough just to get through the whole thing for me. And I don't, I liked, it's I liked no Saved Cobra by the Kai. No, no, it's no Cobra Kai, but <clears throat> they are making fun of themselves. Right. In a way that works, there is some that doesn't, that is kind of whatever, but I mean, come on, there is some caffeine pills. There's, <laughs> you know, they do it all. And episode eight is 
kind of you kind of have to watch episode eight. <laughs> you know, I think you could get away without not. You don't have to watch anything, but but the I enjoyed I enjoyed it fine. There was some downtime in the center, like any of these other even good stuff we watch has some downtime. But it I think the overall it, I'm totally happy watching it. I liked these kid actors grew on me in this the mm-hmm. uh, watching seeing Zach in this. You know, we've already talked about, you know, there's, I've never watched it, but Jared had talked about that, uh, how they were exposing Zach as a villain in that uh, yeah. Amazon Prime yeah. show. And it's like, they really, they kind of focus on that. Like the whole premise in the first episode, you, Zach's the governor of California. And he only is that he ran for governor because he was trying to get out of a parking ticket, you know? <laughs> yeah. And ridiculous. he, he ends up typical Zach. Yeah. He ends up screwing up the whole education system and they have to combine schools with a much more diverse lower income school that these students come to Bayside. So mm. they inject all this diversity into the cast, much like Cobra Kai. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, several of these actors are good. Like mm-hmm. they're, I, I mean, they're, it's still a very Saved by the Bell type show. But now they're starting to look at what, how terrible Zach was, you know, exposing him for who he is and how his kid is turning out like him. But he's got a lot of problems and he can't talk to his dad about him because his dad is a trash bag. Because he's terrible. (laughs) You know? (laughs) How much, uh, how much Kapowski screen time is there? Oh, not much. See, that's disappointing. I, I, and I'll say that's a problem. Like, yeah, I, I'll uh, Zach and Kelly are not in it as much as I thought they were going to be. They, well, that, they there sh- was some misleading marketing yes. involved there. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. yeah. They show up in the first episode and then don't come back. I think until the eighth episode, oh, and wow. they, and they're like in the they finish up the season, you know. But it's it's more Slater. And Jesse, I mean, listen, the revelation in Slater's mind when he has to tell Jesse, I have to apologize for all those times I told you to calm down, mama, (laughs) because all those things you were protesting, you were right. And, and. You know, it, we, he never had that revelation until 30 years later. That the, And now when people care about that stuff more, you know, it's more popular too. He's realizing, you know, it's just like, those are those are great moments. And, and uh, I, I just think it's not, you can't just totally dismiss it. If you are a Saved by the Bell, Bell fan, there is something here for you. And there is a great, the guy who plays the principal. Oh, yeah, I like him. He, he is the guy. I can't think of his name, but he's one. He's like one of the game show host on a Pitch Perfect. Yeah, he's he's been I in think. a ton is of right? movies. Yes. Yeah, he's always like the uh, the. He's the commentator in Pitch yeah, Perfect. Yeah, he's always he's, the commentator. Yeah. He's he's been in like um, Yes Man with Jim Carrey and yeah. just a whole bunch of other movies. Yes, there is a payoff. John with, Michael Higgins. Yes, there's a payoff with him in that eighth episode that. It's just solid gold. It's the best part of the season. Like you have to watch that. Great flashback footage and thought lots of stuff there. It's just like it, a twist that you didn't see coming. Uh, it, it was like what? Well, that's what Saved by the Bell is remembered for. Is it's, <laughs> it's crazy, twisty, crazy, crazy twists and storytelling. <laughs> it was good. I I do not regret watching it. So if anybody was don't just. I, I was curious. I, I was going. I wanted to check it out, but the one I saw it was the premium side of Peacock. I was like, yeah, that, eh. yeah. yeah we, it's, we it's, tried you it. can. It, there, you know, you can definitely burn through it in a week of free Peacock. <laughs> Everybody needs some free Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn it down. Well, I got bad news. I canceled my Showtime. <gasps> I'm no longer the Showtime correspondent. Oh no! I thought you hey, were. I thought you had a lifetime supply. Well, imagine Sudlink lying to me that when I signed up for my the package I had that Showtime was included for two years, 
And after the second year, I called to cancel it. They said, well, no, it's part of your package. You don't need to cancel it. Yeah, I remember that. Well, it was only free for two No, no, it's part of the package. No need to cancel it. So I called back recently to see what I could do about lowering my bill. Like, well, you can cancel Showtime. That would save you five bucks a month. Like, also, I've been paying five bucks a month for Showtime is what you're telling me now. Like, I like what? Uh, yeah, he's like, all right. It wasn't part of your package. <laughs> That's funny. But I was able to st- I was able to finish strong on a show from 2016. Um, over the summer during quarantine, they were playing a bunch of older Showtime shows. They were playing Shameless from the early episodes. Mm. Like During quarantine, they were playing some of their classic stuff. And they play. They reran the show Roadies, the Cameron Crow show. So I recorded all those over the summer, and I've just now recently got to uh, got to it, trying to clear some stuff off the DVR. And it was pretty good. It only lasted one season in 2016, ten episodes. And this is the story of the Roadies for a rock, you know, a very popular rock band. And that's that's Cameron Crow from Almost Famous. You know, he loves yeah, the, his, the music. That's industry. his jam. So of course. Carla Gugino is the star. Her and Luke Wilson are like the two managers of this band. And it's got a really good cast. Imogen Poots, Keisha Castle-Hughes, Finesse Mitchell from Saturday Night Live, Louise Guzman, uh, Ron White, who is the the blue-collar comedian, you know, Tater Salad from The the Comedian. And he is super good as like the old-time roadie who's seen everything and been everywhere and I was on the side of the stage when Pink Floyd debuted there that, you know, that, that guy who has stories to tell, like, so he was a revelation as how good he was and tons of cameos from actual musicians kind of playing versions of themselves. John Mellencamp was in an episode, Lindsay Buckingham, Hmm. some, some more modern people, Halsey, the head and the heart, Gary Clark Jr., Jackson Brown, Eddie Vedder. So I'm sure Cameron Crowe is friends with all these people and got them in there, but it was just an interesting look at like the non-glamorous side of rock and roll, of the, the people who have to unload the trucks and put the stage together and rig the lighting and put the sound system and then dealing with the divas, you know, the divas on tour and the, you know, the tour bus issues. So it's it's there was some drama stuff, relationship stuff, and then some comedy involved. But it just it it really struck me, especially watching it now, how many of these people aren't are don't have a job. Like when there's no live, there's nothing live going on. You know, you go to see a band and there's some people on the stage playing. There's hundreds of people behind them, getting them there, setting it up. State, you know, the ushers from the ticket takers to everybody behind the scenes. It's such a huge thing. And to think every music concert, every stage play, every, you know, every live performance is just no more. It's like there's a, there's just a what an impact this must have on the, on that industry. And it was, well, you know, they're it was, getting $600 here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll be yep. stimulated. They'll be all right. But I, I give I, it a recommendation. I, I'm not sure why it must just not have got the ratings to, to continue on. I'm sure it was an expensive show to produce, but I, I, I'm glad it. I watched it. It was, mm-hmm. it was very solid. Sounds good. I thought he was going to talk about uh, that Showtime show uh, called Gigolos. Well, uh, speaking of uh, rock and roll, I uh, I mentioned to you guys I had just watched on HBO Max that new Bee Gees documentary. Um, finished it up actually tonight, and uh, you know just because I like documentaries, and um, this was the newest one uh, looked to be out here, so I was looking for something to watch the other day, and I started it and uh, kind of got interrupted, so I had to go back and finish, but. Man, it was really good. There was a lot of stuff I didn't know about the Bee Gees. Um, start. I always thought they for, number one. I always thought they were Australian, but they actually were. I think I, what were they? They were actually born in the United Kingdom. Yeah, and I they, don't think I thought they were Australian, but I just. I guess I. I don't, I don't know, know why. Well. And they were born in the United Kingdom, and then when they were very young, they went to Australia, and they kind of became famous over there as like, um, like child, like a child brother group, child stars. And apparently, I I guess the the biggest thing I didn't realize is that they started so young, 
Yeah, had, I wouldn't have known that. And they had been around for so many years, you know, famous. And um, I guess I didn't realize either that uh, that the two brothers, the two younger brothers, were were twins, Robin and uh, Morris Gibb, and then. Barry Gibb was the older, you know, with the, the, the guy with the beard that sang really high. Right, right, right. Yeah, he was the older brother. And, of course, I do remember the, back in the day, I remember the younger brother, Andy Gibb. He was a singer, too. Yeah. And I, I had I did have a vague memory that I knew he had died at a young age. I do remember that. But anyways, um, yeah, so they started out as like this pop group. And very young, wrote their own songs, um, and had some had some hits. Um, came over to uh, went from Australia. Kind of, they kind of went back and forth between the United Kingdom and America and all that stuff. Um, and then they had quite a few hits before pop hits before they got into you know that Saturday Night Fever disco, you know kind of R and B sound that, of course, they blew up. Um, by then, but they had actually been in, you know, they were in pop culture. They were on the charts for like at least 10 years prior to that, having other hits that it was just interesting. It was a nice little trip. Um, a lot of songs they wrote. I never knew they wrote even after, you know, it, it kind of gave you the whole history of them growing up, um, becoming a band, becoming famous, splitting up briefly, coming back together, having bigger hits. Um, then getting into the whole Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, um, the tours and, and the, the fame that came with that, and then leading into everybody hating disco. If you guys, if you've ever seen the, the footage um, from like 1979, the, the Chicago disc jockey that went on went to war with disco and used to, uh, he was the one that organized the, the White Sox disco night where they were going to blow up bring bring a record a disco record and you can get into the game for 98 cents and then we're going to take all the disco records after the game and we're going to blow them up in center field and then they did that and then every the 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 stands were it was a sellout and then everybody mobbed the field and it was total mob chaos big scandal um, but it, it, it talked about, you know, just how it became popular that everybody hated disco and then their career after that and how they became songwriters and they wrote a bunch of songs for some of their famous friends, including Barbara Streisand and, um, Dionne Warwick and, um, you know, uh, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream. That was a Bee Gees song. So it was kind of neat. I, it, it was a nice little documentary if you're not real familiar with them, but you think you like their music. It's pretty safe to say by the end of watching that, you'll be like, hey, the Bee Gees were kind of cool. <laughs> That's a pretty big culture crash. For, I'm sure you were discoing around the house for a week, and then you go to Cobra Kai and it's all 80s metal oh, music. Boom, yeah. just... Yeah, how many musicians have that trajectory where it's like they're huge and popular and everybody loves them, and then whatever they do kind of falls out of fashion. So they're they're nobodies. They're washed up for a couple of decades, and yeah. then everybody looks back and says, "Wait a minute, they were pretty good," and then they become beloved again. Like, <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> really? Well, it it was. I think it was Justin Timberlake on the on the uh, documentary that kind of made that point. He was talking about, you know, in today's world all these these acts expect that they realize that's the you know that's the circle the life cycle yeah that's the life cycle but for the bgs in that generation they were kind of first gen so when that was happening they didn't recognize it they it, it wasn't it wasn't the norm yet to, as as far as you know being in pop culture and and everybody um, expecting everybody to eventually hate you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was interesting in in that perspective. A couple things I want to bring up real quick. One, because I told you guys this off air, I think, 
But I had said before, I kind of gave a not great review to that How To with John Wilson on HBO. Yeah. It's six episodes. And I was like, kind of, it's very Nathan for you, but I wanted to make sure everyone's clear. I finished it and I really loved it overall. Uh, after watching more of it, I saw it, it became clear kind of how it was filmed. Like he must have just collected so much footage and then formed the story from the footage. Like mm-hmm. the footage is just like, it's unbelievable to watch a, like one episode is how to split the check. It's all uh, every, every episode has like this random title of like what, how to do this, but it turns the, sh- the episode turns into something else as you go on. And he may get back around to what he was talking about, but it's just like him discovering other things. But to watch footage of so many people where he's just like at another table and you watch other tables trying to figure out how they're going to split the check. It's like, where did you get this footage? Like how, how did you collect this? It's, it's amazing to watch that first off. But what really got me is the, the sixth episode, the final episode just broke my heart. Like everything he had set up in the first five, all his observations, then COVID hits in his final episode. And the way he ties it all together is just incredible. It was, it was very touching. I can't wait to see more from this guy because he, he definitely has a neat perspective and so I do recommend it. That fourth episode is rough to watch, <laughs> but it, the rest, but it still has good qualities. But, but the, but the, it's not a long series. They're like short episodes and really good. The other thing I was going to recommend uh, to freaking Marvel and comic fans is what Jordan you had told told us about that six sixteen Marvel six sixteen on Disney. Plus yeah. or whatever. I mm-hmm. watched the whole thing mm-hmm. and I, I just loved it. I, I couple episodes, maybe I w- didn't want that into, but there was so much I loved. Yeah. There, there was um, the, definitely a couple episodes were better than some of the other ones. That the whole, toy, the toy episode was really weak. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I like thought I was going to love. And it was like yeah. one of the worst ones. It was just like an ad for here's what Marvel yeah. makes. I, yeah. I didn't care and plus, for that at it all. Really, it really brushed over the Perlmutter years at Toy Biz. Yeah. Whereas like, <laughs> I had just read that whole book about it. And they're like, and then Toy Biz bought Marvel. It's like, that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care. I didn't enjoy that episode. But I, the ones like uh, Dan Slott, his episode, and like talking about making a comic, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, heck, it's been so long since I watched it, but uh, that was interesting and just getting to see the behind the scenes and hit him doing a signing and, and just how likable he was and and just it, the behind the scenes stuff was great. And the my favorite episode was where they were doing the Marvel plays. I would love to see. Pe- our high school here do something like that. And I think kids would love it. You can like buy a Marvel play. Uh, they did uh, Ms. Marvel and gosh, what was it? Did you watch all these clips? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't that got one. to that one yet. No, I haven't seen that one. And Squirrel Girl too. Squirrel one? Girl. What They did a Ms. Marvel play and a Squirrel Girl play. Maybe another one. I can't remember. It's been so long since I watched it, but it was fantastic. They like have booklets for all the cast. You know, they cast it at this high school, mm-hmm. and um, it was just a such a heartwarming thing to watch these kids learn these plays. And the the drama teacher was nice, you know. So, but it, that just watching them put together a play, but they were interested in it because it wasn't just some typical thing. It was they were doing a Marvel thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a ingenious concept to promote their stuff and i'm sure they i mean i know you can buy these but they probably donate these to high schools and stuff i would assume and just to get it's free advertising for them and it's something fun for the kids to do and it's a it's all diverse things they 
I love the casting that they were able to do in this high school. Like they had a great squirrel girl and a great Kamala Khan. And just like, it was just really fun to watch. So I've gotten to about half of them. The the last one I watched was the, the Japanese Spider-Man TV series episode. That 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 was really, really interesting. (laughs) That hooked me. Well, I watched, that's the first one I watched and I was like, I, just bring it. I will watch all of these. Yeah, and it's like the the footage that we never saw for decades. Yeah, yeah. Because Marvel yeah. didn't want it shown here because it was too weird and too <laughs> completely its own thing. But like the hanging the stuntmen from ropes and like the death defying things they went through to produce this cheap, fantastic, TV show. fantastic yeah. stuff. It's so it was just so all the episodes were very high quality. Like they really. I want, you know, that Paul Shear episode was, you know, good. It was fine. Uh, But there was a lot of good stuff. I definitely recommend that. I want them to just keep making stuff like that. Keep pumping that kind of content out on Disney+. Plus. Well, I can pump out some comic book content if you want to keep talking comics. Let's do it. How can you read this? There's no pictures. Well, some people use their imagination. Well, I must hurry back to my comic book store where I dispense the insults rather than absorb them. It happens all the time. Read a comic book, okay? <laughs> okay, free comic book day for this year has been announced, and it is delayed until August this year. It's normally the first Saturday in May, uh, but this year, the 20th anniversary of free comic day is Saturday, August 14th. So they're hoping, if you remember last year... We stretched it out. We had free comic book summer. And that instead of having one big day, a big gathering, we stretched it out into a smaller event. So they're hoping by August, perhaps we're back to normal or close to it. And we can once again have free comic book day. So no word yet on what books will be out or what will be involved in it. But we at least have a date now and that it will be happening. And I wanted to, I don't, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but I had a, a a changed perspective a little bit. All this DC talk that we have been talking, it seems every time we talk comics, we talk about what DC's doing, changing distributors, uh, laying people off. Are are they, are they switching all to digital? Are they, are they getting rid of the monthly comics and going just to the bookstore? Like there's just been stuff happening with DC and it's been worrying because, you know, DC is a huge part of the industry and they seem to be, uh, the new leadership there seems to not be interested in the direct market of comic book stores. So people who have a stake in comic book stores are, have been worried about this. But I read an article that like kind of put some math behind it of saying why it's almost impossible to do this. So it's the, it's Brian Hibbs. Uh, it's uh, comicsbeat.com. Uh, com. I'll put a link to it in the notes. But this is the same guy who compiles all the sales data that you so lovingly wait for every year to get from <laughs> this we live this is the re- it. yeah it's the retailer from california who crunches all these numbers so he has a very good perspective on you know he's owned a store for 25 years he's crunched all these numbers for decades and he knows what's going on in the industry so the article immediately right off you know starts pointing to the marvel bankruptcy in the 90s and how they didn't learn from history how they tried to quote unquote vertically integrate by buying their own distributor and it seems very similar to what dc is doing now trying to pare things down and have their own distributor just for their stuff and he called that ironic since it was dc you know when marvel left all these dozens of other distributors and things got shaky dc were the ones who picked diamond to go with exclusively so DC basically created the monopoly because everyone else had to kind of follow them and the other the other businesses went out of business. So suddenly in 2020, they're now really concerned at having only one distributor. <laughs> but they're, they're kind of the ones who were at fault for doing it back then anyway. But all those people are long gone. <laughs> but if Lunar, their current distributor, can't scale to the, to the size it needs to be, it's going to be the same situation as his warning to this. That if DC picked one distributor and they can't handle it the way Marvel's didn't, who knows? Everything collapses or it all goes back to how it was, whatever. But um, the the 
the ideas people have been throwing around of, you know, DC hasn't really explained their path forward recently, but everything that like Jim Lee has said, or the, the new, the new head Pam Lifford has said, it seems to be three things, more digital stuff, either it's digital first and then goes to print or it'll just be digital only to a bigger push into the book market and three less focus on the direct market of comic shops and more mass market newsstand, uh, you know, internet sales, bookstores, that kind of thing. So those have been kind of the three pushes and this whole article explains that's fine. That's good. But you can't just wish that into existence. You can't just say, I'd like to be digital, please. Like, there has to be a market for that. And he, he's saying there just isn't. So, he, according to his numbers, DC sells about $226 million annually. And 162 of that is the direct market. So only about $33 million in bookstores and estimates less than $30 million in digital. Huh. So, it's, it's the direct market is still... I mean, it's good to have bookstore sales and digital sales, but still the direct market is the vast majority, which still, that's only a drop in the bucket when you're talking, you know, the Joker made a billion dollars, the licensing of the t-shirts and the lunchboxes and all that stuff. Like there's way more money than that. So, you know, what, why wouldn't DC just get rid of the headache and go digital? Okay. Well, he, he laid out all the numbers that did digital comics don't make money. And it's not DC's fault. Like there has been a decade long push. Every publisher wants digital books and they want them to be a hit and they want them to be huge, but it's just not working for whatever reason. People can, that's a whole different argument. Why or, or what the reason is, but they real they sell maybe a single digit percentage of what print comics do. It's, it's too big of a risk to just think that if we only give people a digital option, that they'll they'll do it. That they'll yeah, just they'll have continue. to do it. Yeah. It's like a lot of people just won't read comics anymore. <laughs> and like web comics and digital comics can get millions of readers. Like some of the web comic awards, they'll show download numbers, and it's insane. Uh -huh. Some of the websites that they have like a whole bunch of web comics under one umbrella, they they have literally millions of views, but nobody's paying for it. Right. So it's you can get eyeballs, you can share it on Instagram, you can get your your comic seen. But getting it paid for is a whole different ballgame. And it just doesn't seem – there's just no market there that people want there to be. So number two with the bookstores, he's saying you know, he, he does this. He knows bookstore numbers climb every year. It's an important market. It's a growing market. It's a great market. But the math still doesn't work without shops, comic shops fronting the cost. So the books that these booksellers are selling – all got paid for selling individual issues through comic stores. So he looked at, there were 40 different Batman books in 2019. He picked the most popular character DC has. So the bestseller themed Batman was Batman Damned. It sold 14,000 copies in the book market, number one. You know, individual issues sold, it was selling over 100,000 individual issues through stores. So the number two Batman book was volume nine of the Tom King run, and it sold 3,400. So the number one bestseller, 14,000. The number two bestseller drops to 3,000. So both of those are huge. Those are the biggest sellers in the direct market, the Batman series. Um, and he, like, okay, so the Batman Damned might have been profitable if it was just an original graphic novel, but volume nine would have lost money. Like the costs you know, needed to produce that book and how few it sold, it would not have made money at a bookstore. The number two best-selling book in bookstores would not have been profitable. And bookstores, they don't want 40 Batman books. Yeah. That's just, you know, they don't want two. If, if the number two book's not profitable, they don't need 40. So you would instantly slice, uh, you know, 95% of your output if you just wanted to go bookstores because there's just not room for it. So then he says, well, what about the youth market? That's an even bigger, that's an even bigger slice of the pie. Well, the book Raven, the Teen Titans spinoff, it sold 43,000 copies. It was a huge bookstore hit. 
but the second bestseller was 8,200 and the third was under 5,000. So the, the majority of books DC put out would be unprofitable without, you know, the, the basically pre-sales, you know, selling them as, as you buy issues one, two, and three in the store right. and you, that's how you pay the writer and the artist. So by the time it gets to bookstores, it's already paid for. This is just the cherry on top. So if you cut out, you know, if you cut out everything beneath the cherry, then you, what does the cherry sit on? There's, there's nothing there, and that cuts out. There's no, then there's no page rates. You know, people who produce a graphic novel, like Dogman or any of these, they don't get paid page rates like a comic artist does. They have to sit and, you know, how long does it take to produce your own graphic novel? You might only be able to do one a year. And if you can't make a living off that, then you have a whole lot of people, a lot fewer people even making comics. Anyway, um, and the number three, that hitting that mass market newsstand, we got to get it out to the newsstand. And he kind of points out that, that the newsstands don't exist anymore. The mom and pop stores with the spinner racks and the magazine aisles, those, those aren't there. Everything is a chain store now, and every chain store has to maximize every square foot. Yep. And comics, comics don't sell enough. They just hadn't. They haven't for a long time. So you know, if you remember, Walmart had the DC program selling those books, and that was a mm. huge deal. We're going to get DC books out into Walmart, and the sales of number one were amazing. So Walmart ordered more of them. Everything after the number one's tanked. Yeah. Because it was fueled by surprise, surprise, people from the direct market going into Walmart and buying them. Either speculators trying to flip them on eBay. Or retailers who weren't allowed to order them because they were Walmart exclusives. So retailers are doing road trips and driving to every Walmart and buying them so they could resell them to their own customers. So, uh, yeah, after number one, the sales just weren't there at Walmart. So Walmart has canceled that. So if you can't sell a five dollar comic at Walmart, what 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 newsstand are you going to go to? So it's just not happening. And and he admits the industry's a mess. My monthly comics aren't the fashionable thing. It may not be the most forward-thinking thing, but it's still that's the best way to sell comics right now. Still, and it gives multiple revenue streams. So you can sell it as a single issue, and then then also sell it as digital, and then sell it as a as a as a collection. So there's why would you ditch that for something you have no evidence that it that it works? Like I said, you can't just hope into existence and say, "Well, the direct market's not really doing it for us. Let's go digital." You just, it just, you're just trying to invent something. So I'll leave you with a direct quote: "This is the genuine wonder of the direct market, a functioning market for periodicals and serialization that pays its own way, lets creators make an actual living from production of work, and supports an international network of independent stores at the same time. There's no other market like this in America." And to the best of my ability to ascertain, both DC and Marvel are entirely profitable in this pursuit just from the production of periodicals themselves. The books are gravy. So, yeah, it's, it's just I've, I've just been reading all these articles about DC and how they're they're changing things and going to make it better and fix it. <laughs> and he and I'm, I'm sure some of this is a, an old coot just doesn't want to change. But, you know, it's. I don't know. It, it's hard to make these dramatic changes when, when you're leaping and you don't know what's on the other side. And, and there's no proof that anything on the other side is sustainable. So good. <laughs> is that the moral? <laughs> Things look makes, good. It makes me feel a little better that like I'm not worthless and I can't, you know, you know, comic shops can't be completely left behind. But it also worries me that all these people they fired are the only people who know that. The people who've been in the industry for 30 years and understand this have all been fired. And now it's a bunch of new people at the top who may just drive the truck off the cliff anyway. And we all have to have to learn the lesson a second time before we eventually go back and fix it. But I don't know. I I, I, I liked hearing this, that the direct market is, is uh, irreplaceable. But that, that to me, that doesn't prove that it, it won't be. They won't try to replace us. I yeah. Guess. Hmm. Well, I think we did it. That's something to think about. <laughs> hey, did you guys know that we're uh, available on Amazon Music? 
<laughs> yeah, we have like a band or something? No, uh, they do podcasts now, and uh, we're on there. We're one of them. So I was checking it out today. On we on, made it. Yeah, now we the did. next phase is to be hated. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll make everyone hate us. <laughs> Um, and then we'll start doing podcasts for uh, uh, other people. Um, no, uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, it just, I was looking at it tonight and I was like, I remember uh, not too long ago signing up for uh, Amazon, but I never went and checked it out myself. And turns out all our episodes are on there, not in order, but they're all on there. So you, if you have, uh, you know, you've got a Alexa device, you can. You can listen right on there. Just say, hey, Alexa, play Kapow, the pop culture podcast. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I was trying to see if it would work. <laughs> uh, it's not through my headphones. She can't. <laughs> it's, li- it's listening. Trust me. It's listening. I, don't use, I don't use that name anyway. Oh, I changed okay. her name. Okay. <laughs> Does yours talk like Samuel L. Jackson, too? It can. I paid the ninety nine cents for that. Yes. <laughs> so, hmm. All right. Thank you, all you Amazon listeners out there who have just discovered us via the Prime Music. Yes, like me. App. We appreciate you listening, and we will be back soon with more. My name is Jordan. Cliff Barnes. Seth, bye forever. Kapow! The Pop Cultured Podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during the podcast are property of copyright holders. All original content is property of www.udamwithkpp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a comment. Kapow! The Pop Cultured Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. You can connect with us through social media on Facebook, YouTube, at The Kapow Podcast on Twitter, or email the show, Kapow! The Pop Cultured Podcast at gmail.com. If you really want to go the extra mile, please sign up to be a patron through the Podbean app or our website, www.udownwithkpp.com, to receive special content and early access to some episodes. We are grateful to anyone that chooses to contribute, but please know that most of our content will always remain free, so please continue to like, comment, and share.